Look, everybody, right now it is 2021. I just did this interview with Scott Haugen, interview with Mark Corby, uh, got an interview coming with George Joy. This is all about the Sheriff Lodge and fishing on the Egegek River, which is absolutely incredible. The One of the most amazing experiences of my life to go up there and to see wild Alaska, to see the Igigik River, the way that God made it without a single road or a line of electricity to it. Just two uh, lodge areas and incredible wildlife and fishing. So it's already filling up fast. I don't even know their website address. Go to Google. It's not that hard. Beshera Fishing, Beshera Lodge, Igigik River. Um, two owners, Mark Corpy and George Joy, do an amazing job. And Scott Haugen describes it pretty well, but things are filling up quick. If you want to get in on 2022, get your name in quick. Um, and then uh, if, you know, if you don't quite make it in the door, 2023, I think you'll be able to get into a little bit easier. So um, otherwise, enjoy this podcast with Scott Haugen, and we uh, appreciate every uh, podcast listener, and we ask that you would leave us a rating or a review or whatever you may do. We truly appreciate it. Without further ado, here is Scott Haugen. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Salmon Trout Steelheader podcast brought to you by Sheriff Lodge on the Igigik River in Alaska. Take a look. We've got a, you can see an ad in the magazine forum as well as find them online. And I'm here with Scott Haugen. So, Scott, could you tell me about the lodge itself, first of all, and the river itself? <laughs> you betcha. Nice to be with you. I love your podcast. You guys are doing great work. Been around with STS for, oh my gosh, since the late 90s. In fact, someone told me the other day, they said, uh, do you know that, that you writing your column for STS that's the longest running column in North America no way yeah and I really? said that's what I said no way so I don't belong to any outdoor writers associations or anything yeah. like that but this guy was in the outdoor writers association I was like are you kidding me so I've been writing for STS for since the 90s and amazing, started yeah. a column back and then back as well then, as your so. wife yeah, yeah, my wife Tiffany, who, uh, yeah, yeah, does does the cooking side of things there. So, yeah, so it's, this is nice to uh, have the first podcast uh, here. As far as this place here in the Igigik River in Alaska, I've been fishing Alaska for 31 years. This is the best co-host salmon stream I've ever seen year in and year out. Yeah. I wrote a comprehensive book called The Fly Fisher's Guide to Alaska. Um, at the time, it was the most comprehensive book. Um, of its type covered the whole state um, so I've spent a lot of time traveling throughout the state from the Yukon to the Arctic to the Bristol Bay uh, many Bristol Bay fisheries all the way out you know to um, Adak Island on the peninsula throughout southeast Alaska and and like I say year in year out this is this has been the best fishing I've seen the easiest river to fish mm -hmm. but and a lot of river or a lot of fish in the river um they don't they don't do a run count like they do uh with the sockeyes here so you don't know so, yeah. you know sometimes you'd you'd say, you'd say there's four million fish in the river <laughs> and then yeah. when the bite goes off you'd say where are they yeah. uh I, I first started fishing this river in 2007 we were filming a tv show about a quarter mile from where we're sitting right now doing this podcast and there was a rock and i stepped out there Never made a cast on the river. I had four rods rigged, ready to go. Had a, shooting a show for the Outdoor Channel. <clears throat> had a, a camera crew with two big cameras. 
said, hello, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to show you four different ways to rig up and fish for steelhead. One was drift fishing, one was bobber and jig. Steelhead or coho? Or, or, I'm sorry, coho. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, fishing coho here. I'm going to show you four different ways. One was drift fishing, one was uh, fishing bobber and jig, one was uh, the, the drift fishing was eggs, uh, one was fishing spinners, and then fly fishing. Mm -hmm. So I stood on that one rock and we rolled tape for about five hours and I landed 77 coho oh, wow. and I thought holy cow are you kidding me it was uh, so I fell in love with the river at that point uh, since then the, the lodges changed owners there are uh, new owners as of a couple of years ago it was mm -hmm. a tent camp you know this is remote Alaska you know this isn't your fancy ten thousand dollar a week you know the uh, camp um, but what you're going to get here is you're going to catch a lot of fish and you're going to eat really, really good. Oh, <laughs> it's, it's strange when you're looking forward. I mean, you know, I love the fishing, but you're looking forward to that dinner so much. It's just so mm -hmm. great company. Yeah, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Yeah, Joni the cook here is great. The, the two new owners, George, you know, Joy, and Mark Corpy. George worked for the former owner. I've known him for 10, 12 years. Uh, I've hunted moose with him, brown bear up here, fished a lot with him. George is the guy, He's the he makes MacGyver look like a neophyte. You could, you could give George a spoon and say, George, make a boat from this and get us home. Okay, you know, he'll do it. Mark is a building contractor from Astoria. Um, just the, you know, this used to be a tent camp. They put some cabins up, which has made a little uh, made it a little more comfortable, mm -hmm. especially during those rainy, cold nights. And yeah. they're they're a great team. Uh, super easy river to fish, fun river to fish, a lot of fish, and um, yeah, it's just it's one of my favorite places to go. Like I said, thirty one years in Alaska, mm -hmm. and uh, there aren't many places I go back to. This is my 15th year of fishing here, and there's a reason I keep coming back. Wow. So you came with the lodge when they bought it, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Yeah. So um, I want to talk a little bit more kind of general coho itself, and I'm sure this changes state to state, river to river, of course. But if you were to kind of describe how coho react and move through tidewater, um, do you see any patterns there? We do. So the cool thing about Alaska, and you know, a lot of people say, well, gosh, you know, you can go up to Alaska and Alaska is different than everywhere else. It's not different than anywhere else in terms of fishing techniques and presentations. What sets it apart from Washington and Oregon is the number of fish. Mm -hmm. So I can, you know, uh, th this, well, the other day I went out and I was testing the new 40 millimeter BNR soft beat. Um, I made, um, it took me 41 casts, um, to land. I, I, I should say I got 41 hits to land my five fish. Um, then I went to another 32 millimeter soft bead, got 57 hits to land my five fish. So, you know, if you think, okay, if you're doing it, and I'm doing studies throughout this whole river and we have underwater cameras that we're doing work with and looking at how these fish are biting these beads and what angles, you know, they're approaching from, from the, you know, from the side, from the, you know, from the bank side, from the, you know, from below, uh, from the middle of the river. So we're studying where these fish are coming from and how long they're chewing on the bead and why they're not getting hooked. Mm -hmm. Um, this morning I went out and I made seven casts with the with the same 40 millimeter soft bead and landed five fish. Didn't change a thing. 
my the distance from my dropper, you know, from my hook to the bead was the same. Nothing changed. I was standing in the exact same spot of the river. So, so, you know, that tells me that I have a lot to learn. Still. <laughs> so, what this, what Alaska gives you is a, a huge number of fish and a huge number of opportunities to expedite the learning process. Um, this afternoon I went out and I'm still scratching my head because there was a, a hole I was fishing that was just crammed with, with, just crammed full of coho. And I thought for sure I could get them to bite on these different baits. Wasn't working. I made 30 casts with one bait, didn't get a bite, threw eggs out there, bam. I didn't even flip the bail, got a fish. Mm-hmm. Made 30 casts with another bait I thought would work, bam. Didn't get didn't get a thing, threw eggs out there to make sure the fish were there. Again, I mean, I, it wasn't six inches under the water, got another fish. Mm-hmm. Um, made another cast with another bait, got three fish on that one, but I should have honestly been catching fish every single cast. So yeah. will people hear about that bait? No, maybe I should write an article on baits not to try, right? You Good. Hey, there's, I think there's validity to that. Yeah. So, so I see a lot of these trends where I've fished waters in Washington and Oregon, but but again, what Alaska does is it gives you such a huge conglomeration of fish to test in in, in one area. Um, you know, on an incoming tide, on an outgoing tide, on a high tide, on a full moon, uh, you know, cold nights, pressured water. You know, this is a very popular river because a lot of the silver rivers in the area are producing the number of coho they used to for, you know, 5, 10, 20, 30 years ago. So a lot of lodges are flying out to fish the Aiki Gate right oh, now. Oh, really? So there's actually some fishing pressure on this river. So, you know, it, it, w- when you look at it in, in terms of the learning curve, it, you know, when I can come up here and, and hook, you know, 130, 150 coho in a day, you know, figure how long it would take you to hook that many fish, you know, in, in the Pacific Northwest. Oh, man. And, and and the fish are the same. The water's the same. They bite the same. They fight the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, all, all, so many of the variables are the same, but they're just, they're just such a high volume of fish here. Yeah, so you could, so like in terms of the, the tides, you could really see when they're moving and when they're coming through. And so what do you see incoming, outgoing? So uh, on an incoming tide, these fish make it, we're about 20, a little over 20 miles from the salt, uh, and we're still tidally influenced up here a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other day we had a big, uh, it was like a 2.7 minus and a 17.2 um, high. So we had, you know, about a 20 foot tide swing, pushed in a ton of fish, mm-hmm. uh, catching them with sea lice, very aggressive fish. Yeah. Uh, I'm doing a lot of plug work now. This is a very, very clear uh, river. So, you know, around 10 o'clock or so, just like any river, mm-hmm. you know, even though there might be, you know, 5,000 fish in front of you, the bite can turn off. Mm-hmm. So, so a lot of what intrigues me is what can you do to get those fish to bite? Mm-hmm. So uh, I love casting plugs. You know, casting plugs was big in the early 70s. It's what came to the 70s steelhead world. Then so many people started back trolling them from boats and got away from casting them. You know, casting plugs can be very, very, very effective. And I've tested out an array of plugs. Uh, Maglips, 2.5, 2.0, 3.5, 3.0. Uh, remember the old uh, wiggle warts, you know, back in the 80s? So I have some wee warts. Uh, was fishing those, did really good. Uh, the Maglip 2.5 was fantastic. Um, right behind that was the Hottentot which is one, still today one of my favorite slow water plugs for winter steelhead. 
it was just lights out with a very slow retrieve. You just get that thump in the rod. You get the rhythm. Remind me a lot of the Bob uh, Bob Toman's, you know, thumper, oh, you know, yeah. spinners. You just once you get that rhythm with the current flow and the depth, and even the wind up here can influence, you know, your your running depth with these plugs. Um, it can be lights out. Today I was casting a, a, um, an F4 flatfish, you know, a little tiny thing, one I use for trout, um, mm -hmm. catching them in very shallow water and very clear water conditions. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I still have some testing to do. I'll be fishing three or four rivers uh, over the next month, uh, testing out some of these things and, and seeing how it's working. But, but it's all a learning process. But these are things that, you know, just because they work here, you know, the, to me, that's my affirmation. Now I'll go back home to Oregon, you know, fish them later on this fall yeah. and see if it works down there. Yeah. No, that's great. Um, and it's it's been fun to try a bunch of different uh, bunch of different techniques. It's been fun to try a bunch of different techniques. So if you were going to kind of recommend to someone who wants to get into coho fishing, maybe two or three techniques to start with and learn and try, mm -hmm. um, where would you point them? You know, I guess it depends where you're at. You know, if you're fishing buoy 10 trolling, that's one thing. Mm -hmm. For me, I, I would say nothing has taught me more about a river and how to fish, be it for coho, summer steelhead, winter steelhead, spring chinook, fall chinook, than drift fishing. Mm -hmm. Because drift fishing with, um, you know, just with a sinker where you're drifting and feeling the bottom, you learn the anatomy of the river. You know, when you stand on a riverbank, you can pretty much look from bank to bank and kind of envision that's pretty much what the, what the river is going to look like. Mm -hmm. But to really learn a hole or a section of river, um, you know, I, I, I used to um, do snorkeling in rivers to learn what the, in the summer, yeah. when, the, when the water level was really, really low, to, to learn where the, where the rocks were, where the bedrocks, uh, you know, where the bedrock structure was, where logs were, any kind of structure to see where these uh, salmon or steelhead might be holding in the holes where I was fishing. You know, if you don't have the luxury to do that, you know, learning it basically by way of telegraph, by drift fishing, mm -hmm. is, is probably my favorite my favorite way. And what would you have them put on there? Because <laughs> I saw what you were fishing today. Yeah, you know, I've tried I've tried uh, I've tried different weights. You know, if it, if if it or so, not not weights, uh, rather gear the, the, the bait gear. If it was me, if, if I was going to fish for coho, I'd go out there with like a pencil lead. And you know a two foot leader and eggs and and, nice. a, and a little drift bobber a corky or, uh, pro probably just a little corky, mm -hmm. you know on top of it something to give a little bit of buoyancy and and lift to the bait. Um, coho are very aggressive; they'll travel up a lot for a bait. So I don't I, I'm not convinced that in a river system where you're drift fishing them that you need to keep that thing on the bottom. They'll travel a long ways mm -hmm. uh, for a bait. But what I like about the sinker is is with with like a pencil lead um or some of the new sinkers you gave me today the yeah. first time i tried those what were I, what were they the, the, yeah the dave's tang of free stick weights yeah, or, yeah yeah the yeah. stick weight so i tried those so I, I was fishing a slinky out in some pretty fast water and there was a slot that i couldn't get into so i put on the the three quarter ounce uh uh, stick right there and I, I mean that thing hit the water sunk exactly where I wanted it to go and boom fish on so so what those weights give you is a is, is the ability to to 
precisely get that bait into the strike zone right when you want it, which I couldn't achieve with a slinky. Mm -hmm. I couldn't get it in there with a plug. I couldn't get it in there with a spinner. But you handed me that way. It said, try this. Boom, first cast. You know, nailed it. So <clears throat> so I like those pencil weights. I'm going to be fishing these, um, you know, these Dave Stick weights uh, more. I'm excited to try those. How do you kind of, how do you figure out how much weight you want to use if so if someone's a beginner drift fisherman they're yep. trying it what are they feeling for what do you want to see so I, I i want to tick the bottom i want to feel i want to feel the rocks i want to feel the size of the rocks i want to know their spacing i want to know if there's a big rock if there's a flat rock if there's a shelf so so you know a, a you know you could say go to you know this store and buy a 25 dollar rod and a 25 dollar reel and you know get your line and go fishing but mm -hmm. But I've find I've found you know over the last <laughs> forty some fifty years of fishing these things, you know the, the high quality rods. Um, you know mm -hmm. I, I love fishing the G Loomis IMX. Mm -hmm. I love fishing the you know still the GL twos. Um, up here I'm using a lot of um, um, <clears throat> yeah 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 the and just and, and I just love the feel of those. So basically. A, a, a rod reel line setup where you can feel the bottom yeah. you know you, you're you're blind we're really speculating what's going on out there unless you can do underwater camera work mm -hmm. which i do a lot of on this river which confirms a lot of what i'm thinking <clears throat> so <clears throat> for coho i want to be delivering eggs to them uh, i want a stick weight that's going to allow me to feel the bottom and, and and if it if it's hanging up too much i'll go with less weight mm -hmm. if it's not ticking the bottom you know every you know, 10, 12 inches, then I want you know, a little bit more weight. Okay. You know, you could even go with every two or three feet with a coho again because mm -hmm. they'll travel up. They'll travel from the side if they're aggressive. <clears throat> but I like a bait because an artificial doesn't trigger a bite like a well-cured egg can. Yeah. So that's what I'll start with. Or if I think they're fishing the hole and I'm fishing artificials and I can't get them to bite... I'm going to go with that egg cure. You certainly saw that today. Yeah, 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 yeah you saw. Yeah, and it, it's incredible. This morning, the bait bite that was going on, and we are actually free drifting eggs, which was awesome. And I just kind of walked down and side drift with it and stuff. But now, do you think, uh, is there, is it good to swing the eggs at the end? With, with coho, I think it is, um, because you'll get your aggressive fish. Again, we've done so much underwater work with these, and, you know, you'll be drifting a bait or a jig or a, or a bead, uh, you know, over, you know, 100, 200 fish. And when one fish locks onto it, it like triggers a predatory instinct. And there might be two or three or six fish on it. Mm -hmm. it so I swing it all the way to the end and I'll swing it into a foot of water oh, because okay. they'll follow it up to there. I had a, I had a fish a couple days ago on uh, <clears throat> the 40 millimeter uh being our soft bead that I was trying out, hooked him out, you know, 40 feet out there, got him, you know, within six feet of my rod tip and he came off, uh, just came unhooked. <clears throat> the bead was right up on the surface and it was, it was like third graders in a soccer match. Just everyone wanted to be around the ball. All of these fish just started boiling after, the, after this soft bead. I mean, it was going, you know, six inches a foot out of the water. It, it looked like a herringball feed. But it was, you know, these six, eight, ten, you know, twelve pound coho oh, just wow. batting this thing around, and no one could get the hook. 
just off my rod tip. Yeah. And what I would have given to have had video footage for that, but it shows you, and that was honestly in, in less than two feet of water. It was right there. So these fish, their coho are incredibly predatory. And last year I was up here and we did a lot with the 32 millimeter bead and people were like, that's way too big for coho. You know, it's nothing compared to the eggs I use for these. Yeah. And even the 40 millimeter bead, uh, that we're testing out and whether that goes to market or not I don't know mm -hmm. but we have already video footage from this season of those things just inhaling that you cannot see the 40 millimeter soft bead in their mouth wow. and they're chewing on it they're compressing it they're holding on to it for a long time and we're cutting the hooks off we're cutting yeah. you know we're just leaving the shank on cutting the you know cutting it at the bend because we don't want to hook the fish we want to see how long they're staying with these beads and are they just you know nosing them bumping them and going they're taking them in their mouth chewing them chewing them chewing them spitting them out as soon as they spit it out another one grabs it wow so these fish are very predacious m much different um than what i've seen with chinook in alaska and throughout the pacific northwest yeah. well now to me it was a little when i first saw those giant goofy beads that you had um i was thinking this is more of a, a gimmick there's a bunch of fish. It's something, yeah, they'll bite just about anything. But it, what I actually witnessed was that those things not only were worked as well as anything else, a lot of times they worked better. They, they, they did. And I love their neutral buoyancy. You know, some of the, some of the shallower water we worked up here uh, with the underwater camera, you know, three feet of water, that, that bead wasn't three feet under the surface, and those fish were traveling up to, to get that bead. Some of the deeper water holes were, you know, where we got it down towards the bottom, you know, I'd imagine it's, you know, six feet of water and it's probably down there four or five feet and the fish are hitting it and hitting it and hitting it. And I'd run, you know, I'd fish this one hole pretty heavily with plugs and with spinners and wasn't getting any any bites and I was going to go to eggs and I thought, well, I'll, I'll try the, this one 40 millimeter bead and, and, uh, and I tied it on eight cast, eight fish. So, so just the sight and texture has a lot to do with it. I know some people have brought some beads up here that don't have that, that mm -hmm. soft texture that the BNRs do, mm -hmm. and the fish are spitting it out. But when you get something that a coho is going to chew on, that's going to bring more coho. I had a couple people fishing around me today, and, and, uh, and new anglers, which this is a great place to learn how to catch fish. I said, when you're, when you know, to, it was, a, there was one husband and wife team. I said, when one of you get a fish up, up to the bank, the other one cast right next to it. Cause there are going to be fish there. And they, they just time and time again, they were catching fish. These fish were all coming in, um, you know, following this hooked fish. And, uh, and again, yeah. Yeah. Like you say, you look at that 40 mil and you think, oh my gosh, that's just a gimmick. But mm -hmm. I don't know. The last three days, I've I've hooked well over 100 fish on it. Yeah. Um, you know, it might not be for everyone. It might not be for you know, um, uh, you know, for deep holes. I'm fishing it in in two to seven feet of water, um, riffles, um, back eddies, uh, places that where you could back bounce it. You know, if you were in a little bit uh, faster moving water, I think I'm just drift fishing it. Uh, but 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 I like it. I, I I like I like the size of it. It's not too big. It, definitely not too big. I've caught I caught three pound little little coho moving up here. You know you get a, you know a, a twenty two inch long fish biting a you know forty millimeter bead. It shows you what predators these fish really are. Oh yeah. Now 
BNR um, is obviously got got great beads, but they also have way too many color options. So <laughs> could you give like two colors to kind of start with for bead fishermen? That one I caught the eight on day was one that sat in my box because I absolutely did not like the color of it. And yeah. I was like, I'm not going to use it. And it, and I don't even know what the name of it was. It was more of a it was more of just a lighter orange, mm -hmm. um, kind of a milked out color. Yeah. I was I, I love the model colors, the model pink, the the model colored orange. Uh, of course, the cerise is you know hard to beat. Yeah. Um, I brought up all of the colors that they had, um, in those and caught fish on all of them. They yeah. they, they did they did well. Uh, so I guess the verdict is still out on that. The thirty two mils. The 32 millimeter beads, they're taking over the camp. And people say, well, gosh, do they really catch, you know, more fish than eggs? And we've had some pretty darn good anglers up here, far better anglers than I'll ever be. Uh, guys, you know, that, that have, you know, lived fishing the peninsula for winter steelhead and up and down the Washington, Oregon coast. And, and, and a lot of them are, who are now just fishing straight beads instead of eggs, you can still fish bait on the egg gig. Yeah. And they said that they figured by the time they're fishing a bead they can bring a fish in you know you can keep five coho here and keep fishing mm -hmm. and uh, fishing the bead that they're catching as many if not more than on eggs because they're not having to rebate not mm -hmm. having to clean their hands not having to cut bait um, it, you bring the fish in you don't have to you know go to shore and whatever clean up or rebate or anything like that unhook them and get back to fishing so there, there are a lot of people up here now who fish won't even touch bait. They're just wow. fishing, fishing the beads, and they're having good success back home. Uh, and when, not only just winter steelhead, uh, but also the coho. They're doing really yeah. well, as well as fishing these things under a bobber for fall chinook. Doing yes, really good. and I've I've been seeing that quite a bit more. And uh, had a friend who was smoking springers on them, and mm. so it's it's pretty crazy to see. Um, it's cool how some of these techniques are crossing species and such, and you know the twitching thing, of course, is yep. very popular. And now, last year was for me was really good catching chinook on them and stuff. Mm -hmm. And so, but this up here as a testing grounds, as you've mentioned, is is pretty cool. And I don't know if I'm gonna, you know, give away your secrets on the baits that didn't work. <laughs> you tried some, you tried some funny things. And actually, yep. you did get bit on some weird stuff. Yeah, we did. You know, we got a few, and and you know, I, I could say, wow, use this bait, but you know, if 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 I'm on this river, and I know there are fish in a hole, and I was testing everything with thirty casts, mm -hmm. if I'm not hooking twenty fish in thirty casts, I'm I'm not happy. Yeah. I mean, I've got I've got to have you know I've got to have that hook ratio. Yeah. If I know I've stood on this river and I know I can I can make cast for three hours straight with eggs and hook fish or have bites every single cast yeah you, you know again that's your learning curve so i could come back and say yeah this bait caught fish and you should use it but that that i'm people won't even know what bait i use they don't they don't need to know because the, it might work for them somewhere else where they're fishing that's true that's yeah. true absolutely it's everything changes from area to area but having that confidence of obviously those eggs would be the gold standard for what to expect yep. from the perfect bait yeah. and if the beads are measuring up very well i noticed yeah. uh, fishing certainly you know got fish on spoons and spinners and love it but that would kind of turn on and off yeah it, it, it would and you see that a lot with with the coho throughout alaska and like you know i fished them all over in the yukon and the tributaries and the interior and and uh 
uh, you know, all the way to, like I say, down on the peninsula and a lot of the southeast rivers. And, and that's very typical where, where you'll see a lot of a lot of coho stacked in an area and the bite just turns off. Mm-hmm. You're like, what in the world? You know, I need to try this spinner, that spinner. And I've found nothing turns the bite back on like eggs. Yeah. It, it just, I mean, I'm sorry. It's just a good cured egg will turn that bite back on. And it might just take, honestly, it might just take one cast mm-hmm. to get that one fish interested in that smell several others follow it and then you know your 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 artificial fishing for the next half hour 45 minutes mm-hmm. is lights out yep. and then you think oh my gosh all the fish left you're not seeing them rolling they're not jumping you're not feeling them hit your line you throw an egg out there flip the bale you know bam they're still out there mm-hmm. and then you're catching fish again so it it's neat you know a lot of rivers i fish in alaska uh, um don't uh, don't allow bait mm-hmm. so you're strictly you know um, limited to artificials and and so many times you know i think oh my gosh if i could just throw an egg out there <laughs> you know just just to know see if there's a fish out there yeah. but to get this predatory instinct you know they're a schooling fish get this predatory instinct triggered to where then i'll throw spinners out there yeah uh you know to get it turned on so you know when you think about fishing back home you know if you're fishing whatever tidewater or rivers you know the plugs aren't working um you know the lures aren't working you know get get a bait down there somehow drift fishing it under a bobber uh you know back bouncing whatever you have to do to get some sand in the water i think you were using some anise oil today yeah my favorite scent i used it for wolf trapping in alaska i used it trapping it's my number one scent for for trapping wolves and coyotes and fox and it's my number one scent for curing eggs really i've found that nothing i've I've had no scent that that performs as well for me on salmon from river to river mm-hmm. as anise oil uh, placed on artificial lures used in my egg cures yeah. and you were you were fishing lights out with that yeah i started uh, sticking it the nice thing about those soft beads is just stick a scent bottle kind of in the main chamber and it it would do that but um it was strange where it because it was oils it'd wash off pretty quick and i would have to keep applying it to get the bite yeah but um but it worked great because there's a big old oil slick coming off Mm -hmm. it and that that got them going but yeah but yeah i definitely saw the the egg effect and then also eggs with beads that Mm -hmm. doing a lot of that that's yeah and you know some people will say well that's cheating you don't know what's catching them the egg or the bead you're trying to catch a fish yeah (laughs) you know it's it's not cheating you know that's like using a a flasher with a you know with a herring you know well that's you know that's not cheating you're using an attractant to get the fish to the bait and a lot of anglers love that up here yeah um you know again the bait is is you know that's your scent factor and these fish have you know such phenomenal noses why not capitalize on it so when you were first coming to alaska what were techniques like so uh, you know growing up fishing in the you know the 70s and and uh, in 80s throughout the Pacific Northwest, you know, it, it was a, a big drift fishing show. You know, early in the 70s, uh, you know, a lot of the plugs that came to the salmon and steelhead world, uh, it, you'd see people casting them from the mm-hmm. banks and from boats. Then it went to a back trolling uh, approach, which is still what most people use. And I tell you what, casting plugs from the shore is it, 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 it's probably the most ferocious bite you will get uh, with these coho. They just absolutely annihilate it. Uh, my, my favorite plug to cast for these coho is is a maglip, mm-hmm. and and I love the 2.5, the 3.0, and the 3.5. I've been just hammering them in really shallow water in a 2.5 this what season. Huh? What colors? I love the cerise. 
and uh, anything Cerise and anything Cerise. <laughs> uh, anything like that. Blue Bill, Black Bill, um, uh, good. But, but I love that color. But what I love about the 2.5 is it floats. A lot of these coho will hit on the surface. I, mm-hmm. I fish uh, surface poppers a lot. Yeah. Um, had a little lull in the wind this morning, and and I uh, had nine boil after a surface popper that I was using, mm-hmm. and landed four of those. Uh, you know, I've had days where I've landed over twenty. You know, on the popper here, I love I I, I love popper fishing them, but with that maglip, it floats. You can cast it out there, just dead drift it, just let it float. You know, reel it a crank or two, and it'll dive a couple feet and come back up. I've had several fish take it on the surface, but it's a really easy plug. Um, to to retrieve slowly, whether it's fished directly in front of you or downstream a little bit in a soft current, I'm talking about not a hard current right now. Uh, so so that allows you the, the the fish are just really aggressive and it allows you to cover a lot of water. You know, it, it, it's really because I I think and I've tried a lot. I tried, remember the old hot and tot. Uh, I love the hot and tot for very very slow water winter steelhead cold water. Um, fish that have moved it, you know, into the slack water to rest. I love the hot and tot. Hot and tot has been on fire for me mm-hmm. uh, up here, casting that thing. Uh, remember the old wiggle wart, and I've been using the wee wart, the mini version of that. It's funny you say the old wiggle wart. Yeah, it's very popular <laughs> it's, where I'm from. Yeah, still. Go, oh, you go to the Cowlitz or Lewis, and that's it, it works. Still using it. So yeah. so funny where I used it, you know, down in Oregon, you know, in the late '70s, early '80s, whenever it was, and. You know, it, some of those guys talk about it. No one uses it there anymore. Really? Uh, but uh, the, the the wee ward, I was just yeah having a really why good would, time. Why would the plugs fall out of fashion? They're they're effective. I, they're very effective and they're fun. And you know, with some of the braids that are out there nowadays, I, lo- I love uh, for casting these little plugs. I caught a I caught a limit today on a, on a uh, F four flatfish. I think it's teeny. Well, yeah, one I use for trout. Yeah. So I just used, uh, you know, the Max Quattro mm-hmm. um, line. It's 60-pound braid, but it's, what, four-pound four, four pound diameter? Mm-hmm. You know, you can spool that up and throw that little plug out there as long as there's not a headwind. Yeah. And, and you know, like I say, I caught a limit on that today. Uh, wow. 30, seri- or, uh, 30 series and a 50 series hot shot. Uh, I've caught a number of fish on both of those this season up here. Uh, and you know the hot shot was a big casting uh, plug back in the day. Yeah, yeah. So the thing, the, I think one of the things that that I I see wherever I silverfish in Alaska, and I have three or more, three or four more rivers of fish over the next three weeks. I'm, I'm traveling to different parts of the state, mm-hmm. but one of the, the 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 things that I see so many anglers do is they have waders on and they're going to get their money's worth and wade out to the belt. Mm-hmm. The, the, so many of these fish are so close you don't need to cast very far mm-hmm. and that's where I think a lot of people think these plugs that they have to cast halfway across the river you know the, these fish are traveling cro- close to shore they're holding close to shore you'll see a lot of fish rolling outside in which case that's where it's nice to with the beads like we had a big wind come up mm-hmm. and I saw you switch to the bead and you were far, casting farther than you could catch spoons and you were every cast you were getting them on the bead mm-hmm. yeah know? That, but it was so strange this morning at the other hole, seeing how incredibly close they were. I, I was also fishing at the mouth of a creek there, and I got a couple fish, and then I go walk over there. It was a foot deep. I couldn't believe it. They were, they were in there, and they were biting, and it was so cool to see. So it, it has been surprising. Now, 
up here I noticed they're obviously not line shy um, and with certain techniques down where, where I'm at like twitching in, in dirty water or plugs would run straight braid but I'd be pretty terrified to do that on like a spinner or spoon but yeah. we're doing it now do you do the same thing down there or do you go more leader sensitive you know I'll, I'll go I'll go it depends what river I'm in and how clear it is and how low the water is mm -hmm. uh, but even down there I'll go straight to a braid mm -hmm. and, and I've found I've just found they're not leader shy yeah. it's just I just you trigger that instinct well, what were you telling me about the pike situation there? <laughs> so, I, I, I like pike fishing. Mm -hmm. uh, I've fished a number of rivers off the Yukon and the interior. And, and uh, you know, you're getting into some of these, these, these big rivers with sloughs where they're, you know, you're catching, you know, 20, 25-pound pike. And, uh, and you're like, oh, what the heck? We'll just keep the same, you know, five-inch spoon on there with the same steel leader and just keep working our way out to the mouth and go to the next slope. And pretty soon the silvers are hitting it. Wow. So this is a steel leader, you know, five-inch spoon with a giant treble hook and these in crystal clear water. And these fish don't even care. And, you know, again, a lot of people might say, well, that's Alaska. Mm -hmm. Well, a coho is a coho is a coho. Mm -hmm. And they're aggressive. And if you, you know, it, to me, it's all about the right depth, the right speed, getting, getting that reactionary bite to happen. Kind of like playing with your cat, you know, the cat laying there and, you know, pretty soon, you know, it sees something, you know, a little toy you're playing with or a little fur ball or uh, like my dogs love chasing the laser light. You know, mm -hmm. you, you shine the laser light on the floor and it's like holy cow, move all the furniture because the dogs are coming through. Yeah. You know, it, it triggered that instinct. Same with these silvers. And I've seen it from tidewater to many, many miles upstream up in a river. If you can, if you can trigger that predatory reaction, they're going to bite it. Yeah. Now, before we wrap up, um, uh, can you tell me a little bit about well, first of all, if, if you guys want to go on salmontroutsteelheader.com, you'll see Scott's articles and Tiffany's articles everywhere. But what about to, to find you directly and see about your booking service? So, you know, it's pretty cool because I've been, like I said, been fishing Alaska for over 30 years. And there aren't many places I go to up here or anywhere in the world twice. Mm -hmm. I, I love new experiences. But this place, I've, like I say, 31 years of fishing Alaska, this is the best coho stream I've ever seen. Yeah. So I, I started, you know, t bringing a few groups up here. So then I started doing some bookings um, and have uh, created a little booking service where people can come up and fish with me. I love fishing. I love going out uh, brown bear viewing at Brooks Falls. Mm -hmm. Usually this year we haven't seen many brown bears. Last year we were seeing six or seven brown bears a day, every day on this river. Wow. So that kind of fluctuates too. Uh, I just love it. It's kind of like an open tundra. I love the freedom of it, the most beautiful sunrises and sunsets you'll ever see. There was a volcano erupting not far from us here the other day that was pretty cool wow. to see. So, And a lot of fish. So you can go to my website, just scotthaugen.com, and look at the Igigik River. It's E-G-E-G-I-K. Mm -hmm. uh, hard to pronounce, but it's the Igigik River Camp. You know, it's not a big fancy lodge. It's a comfortable place to fish. Um, we had a dentist up here few years ago and he uh, uh, first hour of fishing and he said holy cow he said I caught more fish in the first hour than I did uh, at a lodge last year and I spent over ten thousand dollars at that lodge 
<laughs> so, you know, and fished it for five days. Mm-hmm. So, so the volume of fish here, you know, if you want to go for numbers, you know, catching 100 fish here uh, is, is really not that difficult. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, some people will come up here and they're like, we're all about the numbers, we're all about the numbers. And, and you know, after they catch 30, 40 fish in the morning and come back for lunch, they're like, holy cow, I'm tired. Mm-hmm. I just want to sit here and watch the ptarmigan, mm-hmm. you know, look for wolves, look for bears, listen to the sandhill cranes and, and just enjoy Alaska. I, I love it. Like I say, it's, you know, not a big, you know, fancy lodge. You're going to eat well. You're going to catch a lot of fish. The people are nice. You know, everything runs on a generator here. Generators break down. Water lines break. This is remote Alaska. It is. You know, it, this isn't, you know, going down to Bowie 10 and staying in a hotel. So, you you know, you might miss a day because of bad weather. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are things that happen in Alaska. But if you really want to experience the kind of a trip of a lifetime uh, in, in, in Alaska the, for coho with nice weather, great people, great food, this is... This this is a pretty darn cool place. There's a reason I keep coming back. For sure. Now, <laughs> um, spell your last name. So, yeah, you just go to scotthalden.com, uh, S-C-O-T-T-H-A-U-G-E-N.com, and uh, you'll see it there, and you can email me there. My email is S is in Scott, T is in Tiffany, Haugen, that's H-A-U-G-E-N, at yahoo.com if you'd like to learn more we'll be writing another uh, uh, feature about this place coming up a little bit later in, in STS maybe the December January issue um, I like I like updating folks it's interesting I've been here for a week or so now and there's usually 16 people in this camp at a time and uh, at one point last week uh, 14 of the 16 had all booked from Salmon Trout Steelhunter articles oh wow um some of them come come in here for years so it, it it's really neat to connect with a lot of the readers and meet people and it, it's oh, just yeah. a lot of it, it's just a lot of fun come up here and catch fish and have a great time yeah and the the owners are great they work their butts off they you would not believe there's not a single road out here you got to float plane in or take a boat and they built these and brought all the lumber in and little little fishing boats it's pretty incredible yeah it when when you see it you'll see why it was a 10 camp for so many years and mm-hmm. then you say wow you know whatever it was 30 some boatloads you know haul at 30 miles up, up and down the river and you know there were times where they couldn't make it or motors you know gave out or the tides you know and winds were bad so they they spent several nights on the river Wow, uh, it, you know here, and this, you know, this isn't just stay in the boat. This is like you know, fifty mile an hour winds and yeah. you know, really cold and you know, it, it's life and death stuff up here. I got to give them credit, you know, <laughs> some serious credit. And then uh, also, you moose hunt and beer, uh, bear hunt around here. Yeah, a lot of good moose hunting around here. Um, uh, taking a couple good brown bear around here, ten foot nine. Uh, brown bear that I got, 23-year-old bear, uh, not far from where we're sitting right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of wildlife around here, great place to hunt and fish. I've waterfowl hunted a lot right here. Uh, yeah, just uh, have some great ptarmigan hunts all around this whole area, you know, within 50 miles of where we're sitting. Yeah. Um, well, I could sit and talk for hours, and uh, so I probably should wrap this one up here, but we will be doing another podcast, hopefully here. Um, before the end of the trip. Again, I want to thank uh, Basheriff Lodge um, and uh, Scott here for the opportunity to come fish. It's it's wonderful. And if you guys don't mind um, telling your friends about the podcast, if they haven't heard it, send it over to them. 
And, uh, and what you guys don't know is the comments really do help us. They help the algorithms. We love to see them. So if, if you don't mind shooting a comment underneath, please do. And again, highly encourage you to go check out not only Scott's website, but his, uh, his books that he's written over the years and the columns. I mean, there's so much good stuff there. A bunch of, bunch of it on amatobooks.com or on your website as well. And uh, I think you'll autograph them if they order from Heck you. Heck yeah. yeah, we'll do that. I'll put the stamp on it. Yeah. It's neat. You know, we're a pretty small fraternity out, mm -hmm. out there. And, and it's fun to, to meet people who share the same passion. And, and that's all I'm doing, just trying to share knowledge. And I'm just blessed to be able to do this for a living where I can go out and learn. You know, I... It just it's all trial and error and 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 when I can share amazing places like this with people that 